Last week, I began with an introduction, even though it was quite extensive, because in order to understand Pesach, you really need to understand the overall design of the Bria. That's called the uh, blueprint of the Bria. Pesach isn't just a historical event. <clears throat> That's what most people think. You know, it's obviously a critical historical event where the Jews were liberated. But that's not really the essential idea. The essential idea is that Pesach was a historical event that satisfied a critical spiritual necessity, you see. And that's why events happen. They are designed, they are structured in order to allow the Jews to address a very important spiritual event. But in order to understand the spiritual event that has to be satisfied, which it is by the historical event, <clears throat> one has to understand the spiritual necessities. In order to understand the spiritual necessities, one has to understand the blueprint of creation. You see? What it's really all about. And that's really what I did last week. <clears throat> And what I said last week, as a very rapid summary, is that there are different aspects of reality or dimensions of reality. And essentially what the Rabbani Shalom wants <clears throat> is that the ma mankind, specifically the Jewish people, have to change realities from one dimension to the next. And I mentioned that we're five. Just to repeat them, there's the reality called God, the Rabboni Shalom. Okay? And that reality is absolutely and completely unknown. Second reality is the reality of the Neshama. And the reality of the Neshama is something which is unknown to us. But it is the closest thing outside of God that He created, you see. The third reality is Ruchnius, is spirituality. <clears throat> now, we tend to think, of course, that spirituality, right, let's say the Malochim, the angels, are much greater than us. And the truth is, they are greater than us now. But the truth is that the fourth reality is called Geshem, the physical universe, you see. And it is true that malachim are greater than physicality. That's true. But the physical universe is a very strange place. And, and there's one nivra, there's one created entity that is beyond comprehension. And that is that Rav Hashem took a neshama, which is the second reality, and he inserted it into a geshem, into a body that is subject to physical laws. So it comes out, you believe, that you take something which is much greater than the Malachim, much greater. You take that out and you lower it into an environment that's completely physical, thereby making the individual or the Neshama much more inferior to the Malachim. <clears throat> In a certain sense, it's like taking a person, free man, and putting him in prison. And his job is to get out of prison figure out a way. Same thing. 
It is the job of the neshama, you see, to evade or to get out of the prison called Geshem, the physical body, you see. And the way to do that, basically, as we will see, is one of three ways. But obviously the most important way is doing mitzvahs. And what a mitzvah does, it will take the human body, the physical body, and transform it slowly, changing it into a more and more finer substance. And finally, it not disappears, but it becomes so changed, so refined, as almost not to be even noticeable. <clears throat> you see. And I had mentioned also that the way to do that, of course, is to increase the, the light, the illumination, the divine energy of the spheres. And a Jew does that by doing mitzvahs. You see? And therefore he transformed the physical universe into a spiritual. Now I mentioned also something very important, and that is the fifth reality. And the fifth reality really was never supposed to be a major reality. It was sort of like in abeyance, which means it was there in case. And that is the world, of course, of the Sitra Akhra, the world of the Sultan and all his minions, you see. And that world, man was not supposed to in any way inhabit. However, because of the sin of Adam, then man fell into that world, and now the entire Sitra Akhra can project a specific type of projection called Zoyama into the entire physical body because the physical universe is saturated with Zoyama. <clears throat> Therefore, man is left with a new responsibility. The first responsibility is to do what? Is to get rid of the Zoyama, you see. And then you will live in a universe which is completely physical without any Zoyama. And the consequences are awesome. There's no death, no disease, no hardships. It's incredible, you see? And when a person does that, he will then go from a world pervaded with Zayama into a world which is Orgeshem. And then he will make his way up into Ruchnius and then into the pure world of Neshama. And of course, ultimately into a world that the Neshama resides in, which is Oilam Habo. You see, anyway, therefore we have to contend with a reality that was created by Odom Mauritian, and that is the world of Zoyama. And that's really what mankind has been struggling with for thousands of years, you see. <clears throat> so in the beginning, the struggle, of course, after Odom introduced everybody to the world of not only physicality, but the world of Zoyama, which is, of course, the projected contamination with defilement of the sudden everybody was subjected to that task everybody there was no such thing as a Jew it was Adam it was really mankind and what the Russian did is he allowed mankind he gave him 2,000 years to try to undo all the Zoyama and turn the world into Geshem which by the way is the whole essential idea of the Messianic era, you see. And therefore, there were no Jews. There were just people, nations, and different nations, different tribes. 
<clears throat> but ultimately, the nations failed. And what they did is that they not only did not remove the Zoyamah, they intensified the Zoyamah. <clears throat> and what that means, which I mentioned, is a very interesting type of relationship that we have with the Sultan. That we and the Sultan are energized, given existence, by the same force, which is Kedusha, holiness. And that force energizes both of us allows us both to exist and gives us tremendous amount of power or potency. The question, of course, is who gets it? So it's up to us. If mankind or the Jewish people do the right things, which are the mitzvahs, then we get the power and then we are able to transform the world, as I said, higher and higher. If, however, we sin, then it is the certain that gets this energy and that empowers him to pervade the world much more and to wield much greater power and temptations on the world, you see. So, it's us versus the Satan. That's basically the whole mankind. And the only one who has control over who has the Kedusha, who has the energy, is the Jews, you see. And that, therefore, is the eternal struggle that is a struggle between the Jewish people and the Sitra Achro and the entire satanic emperor, empire, you see. And that's really been our struggle. So for 2,000 years, God assigned this task of removing the Zoyama, because that's the first task, to mankind, anybody. And they struggled for 2,000 years. However, they failed. We know they failed ultimately by the marble. So not only did they fail to remove the Zoyama, but they increased the intensity of the Zoyama of the Sutton by doing the wrong things and allowing the Sutton what's called to be unique, to nourish off the illumination or the energy of the spheres. So could you imagine how powerful the Sutton became as a result of that? Like I said, instead of removing the sun, what happened was, as mankind, by their terrible deeds, gave the sun enormous power over the spheres, you see. Not that he controls the spheres, but the rules are, it's like, a, it's like gravity. The rule is if you jump off the roof, you go straight down. Same idea. The rule is that if a person sins, a person that is able to do the tikkun, which is able to take the spheres, the illumination, and change the world, is that if he sins, then he gives his power over to the Satan, you see. And finally, the marble, God decided to destroy the world because the world had reached a stage of what's called Memtes Shari They had given so much power and so much divine energy to the Satan that there was no free will anymore. So what was the whole point? So God destroyed the world. Then finally you came to the, 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 the door of the uh, Migdal Bovo, you know, where they wanted to build a tower to war with God, you see? So finally that was sort of like the last straw. And God said, listen, you know, I'm going to take away the ability of mankind to do the Tikkun. And I'm going to give it only to one person. And that is Avram Avinu. I'm going to allow Avram Avinu and his descendants 
to do the job of Tikkun. You see? To do the, remove the job of Kilku. Because mankind had damaged creation terribly by giving the sudden rule in charge of, right, the physical universe. By allowing him to be unique, to nourish off, to feed off the light of the spheres. So the Roshim says, I'm going to give now the job of this to do who? To Avraham Avinu. Because he's the only one that's really doing what? He's the only one that is really doing the Avrido of doing what? Of removing the Zoyama. Remember, that is the basic Avrido that has to be done. You see, in order to move on to the next Avrido, which is to remove Geshem, physicality. In any case, so therefore the Roshim approaches Avraham Avinu and says, look, I want to make a bris, an agreement, a covenant with you. What's the covenant? That you and your descendants are now assigned to do this job, to do the job of Tikkun, you see. So Avraham Avinu says, okay, you know. But Avraham Avinu brought out a certain point. He said, Bamoeda, what do you mean? How do I know that the Jews will do it, my descendants? Because what will happen is, is that if they sin, you will destroy them just like you destroyed the people of the Mabo. So you're promising me what? That both I and my descendants will do the Tikkun? Yeah, but that can easily be removed, just like you did that by the Mabo, the Doha Mabo, you see. Therefore the Banshim said, no. I'm going to give you a way that they will do it, you see. And that's a very important concept. Now, what was the job of Avraham Avinu, really, and his descendants? The job is this. Until by Adam, you know, you could remove a certain amount of power that the Satan had because of the sin of Adam. It could be removed. However, in 2,000 years that mankind sinned, the Satan had accumulated an unbelievable amount of Kedusha, the light or the energy of the spheres. So the problem is, it's not enough to start from now and do the Tikkun. No. You've got to take back all the, what's called the sparks of holiness, all the energy of the Satan that mankind has given him for 2,000 years. You see, that's what Avraham Avinu said. This is an incredible job. It's not a job now to begin to bring down the light of the spheres. No. We've got to take back all the energy that was given to the Satan for 2,000 years of mankind doing the kyoko, doing the, the damage, because they were able to do the tikkun and therefore they could do the damage. You see, because if the Shoma could bring down the light of the spheres, right, then it could also give it to the Satan, which is the Kyoko, the damage. So the Banshim said, that's your job. <clears throat> You've got to undo the destruction of mankind for 2,000 years, you see. And the Banshim said, I want to enter into an agreement with you. But Avraham Avinu said, you know, with that kind of a job, you know, forget about it. What happens if the Jewish people sin? And they will sin, you see. 
So you'll destroy them just like you destroyed the Dua Marble. Because they also had the job of Tikkun, you see. And they didn't make it. So you wiped them out. So how do I know that the Jewish people will do it? So the Barsham said, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give them not one, not two, but three ways to do the Tikkun. And we now know what the Tikkun is. The Tikkun at the point of Avraham Avinu was called the removal of the Kyuko to remove the Zoyamal. You see, that's the essential avoider, to take back all the energy of the spheres that was given to the Satan or the Sitra or the side of evil, right, or impurity, for 2,000 years. That's what Avraham Avinu and his descendants are supposed to do. You see. So, Therefore, the Bansham said, I will give them three ways. The first way to do the Tikkun, which is to remove all this, is to do the mitzvahs. If you do the mitzvahs, then you bring down the ore of the spheres, the light of the spheres, the energy of the spheres, you see. However, what happens if you don't do that? Then you could do tshuva, right? And you sin. So you could do tshuva, you can repent. And if you repent, that, also, that will take out all the energy that the Sultan has taken for himself as a result of the sins of the Jewish people. What happens if they don't do tshuva, or not enough tshuva? Then I will give them a third device, and that device is called Yisurin, or suffering. So, in one of the three ways, whether it be through mitzvahs, which is directly bringing down the light, tshuva, repentance, and that takes away what the Sultan has earned, or has got because of the sins of the Jews, or Yisurin, because when a person is punished, when he suffers, then the Sultan has to give up the energy that he has accumulated from that person when that person has suffered. You see, because that person has fulfilled the din, the judgment. Therefore, uh, this is what the Bershom said. Now, the overall task, however, is what? This is what Avraham Avinu has to do and his descendants. But how do they do that, you see? Now, what is interesting is we commemorate Pesach, right? How? Because we say that the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. That's the Geula, the Geula. That is the redemption, you see. <clears throat> but it's interesting that people ask, or they should ask, well, <clears throat> what were the Jews doing there in the first place? You know, why were the Jews in Egypt in the first place? Well, how do we know that they had to go to Egypt? And the answer is here by Avram Avinu. Because the Rabbanishim said to Avram Avinu, Ger Yezaracho, Ger Yezaracho, your descendants will be Gerim, will be strangers, be Eretz, be Oretz, Asher Lohem, which is not theirs in a foreign country, you see? And what will happen there, right? They will avoid them, right? They will serve these people. And the version does not identify which nation that is. The Inuisim, and that niche nation will also afflict them, persecute them, you see? And afterwards, they will go out with great possessions. <clears throat> now, what does this have to do with the task of Avraham Avinu? And that is to remove the kilko, to take away the energy. 
And the answer is that the way to take back the energy of the spheres, you see, the greatest way from take away the energy from the, of the spheres from the Satan is to be in an evil environment and to remain righteous. Automatically, when you do that, so you're not only remaining righteous, but you are remaining righteous in an evil in an environment which is dominated by the Satan. And that takes out an enormous amount of energy that the Satan has accumulated. Therefore, what the Bansha wanted is that the Jews will go to a nation that will be tremendously evil, you see, and they will remain righteous. And that's what that deposit means. Your children or descendants will be children, will be, they will be so uh, strangers, right, in a land not theirs, right? They have to remain strangers, which means that they have to remain righteous, even though they are in a nation which is not theirs, because that nation is a nation which is the Bechor, the firstborn of the Sultan. Now, that is a nation that's the favorite son, so to speak, of the Sultan. And it's a world-class nation, you see. So the Jews have to go into that nation, remain righteous, remain gerim, and not assimilate. And they will be able to take out all the energy that the Sultan has accumulated for 2,000 years. That was the task. Uh, but Avraham Avinu's statement is very true. What happens if they sin? You see? What happens if they sin? So that's what the Bansham said. Their job is to go into the nation and remain righteous. That's to do the mitzvahs in that nation. The Sheva mitzvahs ben Noach. However, what happens if they fail? Then Avodim, <clears throat> then that nation will subjugate them and enslave them. You see, that's the beginning of the Yisurin. And if they continue to fall, Inu Aisam. You see, so the Bershom is actually talking to Avram Avinu and going through the three methods of Tikkun or removing Kilkul. You see, but the original task is to remove the Zayama of 2,000 years accumulation. The way to do it is to go into a nation that's evil, which is the Bechor of the Sultan. That's his major nation, his major agent, and to remain righteous and remain Gerim. Don't assimilate. But if they fail, then the other two methods will kick in to remove the Kilkul or the Zayama. One is Tshuva, and the other one is Yisurin, and that's the Inu, the Avodim, the Inu Isam. You see? That is the reason for Egypt, which most people, interestingly, don't even think about. What are they doing there in the first place? But the reason why they're there is because the Rebbe struck up a deal with Avram Avinu that they have to do the Tikkun, which in this case meant <clears throat> to remove the Kilku. You see? The Zayama. And therefore, Egypt was part of the divine agenda to remove the Zayama that 2,000 years of mankind's history gave the Sultan. You see? That's why they were there. And they would go through one of those three things. You see? Either they'll remain righteous, or they will do tshuva, or they will suffer. Ultimately, it meant that the Jews did enough of Varus in Egypt, because they worshipped idols, as Chazal tells us, that they will have to suffer, 
and they remove the zoyama that way, even though, interestingly enough, they're sinning. And that's exactly what happened, you see. And then you had Avram, and then, of course, you had Yitzchak, then you had Yaakov. Now, the ones who continued this avoider of fighting the Kilko, you see, was Yaakov and Esau. Now, most people are not aware of the fact that Esau is an of. He's a patriarch, you see. And his job, and Yaakov and Esau were twins. Why? Because both of them were involved in fighting the Sultan, you see. Except Yaakov's job is to fight the Sultan by remaining righteous. Esau's job, and that's why he's called the Ishoda, man of the field, his job is to go into the Klippa, which is the nation of the nations of the world that are evil, and to remain righteous. <clears throat> you see? And if that was the case, he could have subdued the Sultan and actually destroyed him. You see? And Esau, which had the Nishom of an Ov, that's how great he was. Can he, and so therefore he's a Shurish of Kedusha, can actually destroy the Shurish of evil, the root of evil. And that would have been great. You see? Uh, so you have Yaakov and Esav, both doing this job called Tferes, of trying to destroy the Kilko. You see? But the real job of destroying the Kilko was basically Esav's. Now, had Esav done his job, that would have been incredible. Unfortunately, Esau did not do his job. He fell. And he became part of the Sultan's team. And that's the bad news, you see. So it remained where Yaakov Avinu was the only one that was carrying the Tikkun forward from Avram Avinu, you see. So what the Rabban Hashem did is very interesting. You needed somebody like Esau, because Esau is a fourth patriarch. He's a fourth of. And you need somebody <clears throat> to fight the Sultan, you see, and therefore to take out the Kedusha from the Sultan. The problem is, there's only Yaakov Avinu. <clears throat> there is no other of. So what the Mansham did is Yaakov Avinu did whatever he could. You see, until he was 63. Then, when he received the brochas from Yitzchak, and by the way, those brochas were intended for Esau, and they're all physical brochas, you see. Because, uh, without going into the whole thing, uh, Yitzchak wanted to give Esau the power, you see, of continuity of that entire task. But he wound up giving it to Yaakov, you see. And since Yaakov now accepted the brochus of Esau, which is fundamentally the brochus of the Mashiach and Yosef, because Yosef is the one that fights the Satan and destroys evil, you see. So what happened was, is that since Yaakov took it over, he had to go to Lovan. Now Lovan was an individual who was a major agent of the Satan. And Yaakov's job now was the same job that Esau had, which is to go into what's called the Klippa, to go into the environment of evil, right? Remain righteous, and therefore to severely diminish the power of the Sultan. So just like Esau had the job, Yaakov now took it over, and he therefore had to leave and go to the house of Lovan. 
So he really did the job of Esau. You see? So that's what the Bosham did. He gave now Yaakov the job of Esau, that he would have to do that job, which is to diminish evil by taking away all the Kedusha. In Kabbalah, it's called the sparks of holiness, you see? And as a result of that, it severely diminished the power of the Satan. And that's what Yaakov did. Finally, he, lay, he leaves Lovin, having completed an enormous amount. But no person can do two jobs, because they require two different, what's called tchunas hanefesh, two different types of personalities. You see, <clears throat> so therefore what Yaakov did, was he left Lovin, right? But the problem is that the job of Esau, which Yaakov had done, not totally, had to be given to somebody. So what the Bansham did is he picked one of the Shvatim, one of the children of Yaakov Avinu, Yosef, to be a Chatsi of, to be half a patriarch. That's why the Neshom of Yosef is much greater than the Neshamas of the other Shvatim, you see. Because he became a Chatziov. He had his own job as a Shevet, but he also had the job, you see, of Esav, to clean up, to take out all the Nitzitzi Kedusha from the Satan, you see. And that's really what Yosef was appointed for. And therefore, if that's the case, if Yosef now takes over half the job of Esav, because Yaakov took over the first half, and now Yosef takes over the second half, right? Then automatically it means that he must go into an environment of evil and to remain righteous. And now we understand the dreams and why it says Yaakov Shomas Adova and Yaakov waited for the matter because he knew the job of what Yosef was. He didn't know how it would be, who that nation would be, but he knew that, that, that uh, Yosef took over half the job of Esau. So he knew, ultimately speaking, he also has to enter the environment of evil and remain righteous and therefore subdue it. You see. <clears throat> but Yaakov did not realize how it would be done. But he realized that Yosef would do it. And by the way, that is why Yosef had two shvatim. Because a shevet cannot have another shevet. His neshama isn't high enough to have a tribe, a shevet. You see? You have to be an of. But since Yosef was a chatziov, he was half a patriarch, he therefore actually had a neshama great enough to have Menashe and Ephraim. See, all these things are beautifully answered. And I'm skipping over an enormous amount of material. How you can see so many things that are answered in Chazal once you understand the, the underlying dynamics of the story, the hidden story, you see. But in any case, that's who Yosef is. And Yosef, of course, has to remain righteous, even though he's in a terrible country like Egypt. Because Egypt was really the Bukhor, was really the main agent of the Sultan. And that's what he did. Now, <clears throat> the main job of Yosef centered on Fotifa's wife. That's where the real test was going to happen, you see. The, because that test of the Sultan has to involve taiva, promiscuity, you see. 
And that would be the main job of Yosef HaTzadik. And he was tested with Fatifa's wife, obviously. And he was able to remain righteous, even though it was very difficult, you see. And therefore, as a result of that, he was able to successfully complete an enormous amount of the job that he had been given, you see. <clears throat> so therefore, it comes out very interesting that because Yosef did what he did, especially in the, uh, the uh, story of Atifa's wife, he was able to take back an incredible amount of Kiddusha from the Sultan. Yunika from the Sultan, which is an amazing thing. And because of that, since the Sultan was now depleted of a tremendous amount of Kiddusha, guess what? Then his nation, the agent of the Sultan, is also depleted. They're both starving. The Sultan is starving, and Egypt is starving. And therefore, to indicate that, we now have the dreams of Paroi, where the seven bad years emptied out the seven good years. In other words, uh, Yosef actually got power to dream about what the status of the Sultan is and Egypt because of his actions, you see. So automatically, Paroi, that represents Egypt, dreams, right, that there's going to be an incredible famine. Why would Paroi have a dream like that? And the answer is because Yosef who was a Chatziov, half a patriarch, that was his job. <clears throat> and he was successful in enormously diminishing and depleting the ore, the sparks of holiness that were in Egypt that was in the hands of the Sultan. And therefore, Paroi, who represents Egypt, had that dream, you see, <clears throat> which is amazing to think about, that the one who caused Paroi to dream was really Yosef. And that's what got him out of prison. So in a certain sense, he got himself out of prison. Now, Pari, of course, has that dream, doesn't know what it means. <clears throat> and of course, Yosef comes and he tells them what the dreams meant. Now, what is interesting, you can ask a very strange question. Just because somebody interpreted a dream to Pari, does that make him Grand Vizier? Of course not. You know, you get your money, you get freed, and you go on your own way. <clears throat> Why did Pari make Yosef a Grand Vizier? And the answer is because <clears throat> the Kedusha level in the heavens must reflect itself on earth. If the Kedusha in heaven is where Kedusha is much greater than the Tumah, then on earth the Kedusha here must be much greater than the Tumah. <clears throat> and therefore Pari was forced to, by that logic, to elevate Yosef to the level of Grand Vizier, which is a seat of authority which is right under Paroi. In other words, the relationship between Yosef and Paroi was the relationship between the Kedusha and the Zoyamah in heaven. You see? Because one must reflect the other. But it wasn't complete. He was under Paroi because not all the Zoyamah was removed. <clears throat> that job would have to be done by the Jews in Egypt. What we see so far is an incredible story which is really rooted in the foundation of the entire blueprint of creation 
which is what I've spoken about. And we see how it plays out beautifully in the actual stories of what Bracious is all about. You see? So now we're at the level of what? <clears throat> we are at the level, right, where Yosef has successfully depleted, emptied out the coffers of the Sultan enormously. So Egypt is starving, but more important, Yosef is now the boss. He is now the, the uh, officer over the entire Egypt because the Kedusha is now such where it now reigns supreme over the Tumor. <clears throat> However, it needs much more. So now enter Yosef, enter Yaakov, and enter the 70 Nishamas that now go into Egypt, and they complete the job. They try to remain righteous, but eventually they slip. So then Avodim, they become subjugated to the Egyptians. And the last 80 years, Inuisam, that's why Miriam was called Miriam, because that's when the real Marirus, the real bitterness started. You see how it works? And therefore, the Jews, either through uh, Tshuva, Mitzvah, Tshuva, Yisurim, are successful in depleting Egypt completely from any sparks of holiness that, that it has. You see, and we are now at a momentous occasion, you see, and now we can begin to understand the whole story of the exodus of Egypt. Moshe Abeno, who is the Mashiach Ben Yosef, he's a candidate anyway, <clears throat> of course, he is informed by the Rabbanishnam that he is the man, that the Pekidah must begin. Why? Because the Jews had successfully taken out an enormous amount of the Zoyama. You see, they have almost completely bankrupted the Sultan. And therefore, it is now time for Moshe Rabbeinu to take the Jews out. Because that's how great the Kedusha is. Where the Tumah can no longer subjugate them to Avdus, to slavery. It can no, more, no longer, you know, uh, imprison them in the prison of Tumor. So the Banshim tells Moshe Rabbeinu, the staff, the Mate. The Mate is a very interesting symbol because the Mate can be a Mate, a staff, and it can also be a snake. It turns into a snake. In fact, that's exactly what happened. The Banshim says, the Mate in your hand, throw it to the ground, <clears throat> and it becomes a snake. What does that mean? Because the matter, right, derives its energy from the spheres. From, it, it's the symbol of the energy of the spheres. So normally the matter is in the matter state, you see. But the satan is unique from that kedusha. So therefore the matter itself can turn into a snake, you see. Because the snake, which is, which is the symbol of the satan, right, is nourishes from the light of the spheres. So Bonsham tells Moshe Rabbeinu, throw it down, and lo and behold, becomes a snake. Right? Why? Because that's exactly how the snake, which is the Sultan, survives. It survives by the Kedusha that it took, right, from all the people that gave it that Kedusha, you see. Then the Bonsham takes it, or tells Moshe, pick it up, 
And he did, and it turned back into a matah. What does that mean? It means that the kedusha of the matah has been restored to the staff, to the matah. You see? And there is no more kedusha in the sultan. Wow. If that's the case, then it's over. You see? That means the job has been done. That means the job of taking out the zoyamah of the sultan has been accomplished. And the symbol of that is that the snake turns back into a mate, which is the staff of God. You see? And this is what happens. So the Roshim tells Moshe, go to Pari now and tell him, let my people go. You see? But the Roshim doesn't want to force somebody. What he does is he wants to give evil a chance to repent. You see? But in any case, so he tells Parai, Parai, it's over. You no longer have any ability to control or to imprison the Jews, to enslave the Jews. Why? Because all your power, which was the power of the Sultan, is gone. Because the Jews have taken it out. Right? In the 210 years that they've been here. So you have no power. You see? Now, power looks at Moshe and he says, what are you talking about? You know, we are the masters of Kishof. And Kishof, which is black magic, is the ability to use the power of the Sultan to do magic. So what Moshe Rabbeinu does is he begins to demonstrate to Parai, right, that they have no power at all. And that's what the Ten Makas are. The Ten Makas are really the spheres, Right? turned into a physical event. Each event represents one sphera. So the energy of the spheres itself was turned into a physical event that destroyed Egypt. You see? Because the Kedusha that was in the Sultan from the ten spheres is now restored to the side of holiness. You see? So if that's the case, then the energy of those spheres restored to the side of holiness now creates an event which destroys Egypt. So the ten makas are really the ten spheres, you see. And that's really what's happening. Which, by the way, are the same thing as the ten mamoras that the world was created. And because the Jews did such an incredible thing, there was zoicha to the aseris adibris, to the ten commandments. You see? And they all match up, by the way. But in any case, uh, in any case, this is so far what happened. And in the beginning, Pari's magicians thought that Moshe is an incredible magician, but they didn't understand who he really was. That his power doesn't come from magic. It comes from Kedusha, you see. And they realized it by the plague of the Kenim, the lice. Because the rule is that magic doesn't have power over anything smaller than a barley grain. And lice is smaller than a barley grain. You see? So when he brought lice, Moshe Rabbeinu, he could do it because he was in charge, control, of the spheres, the light of the spheres. The Egyptians, they had the, the uh, Zoyama of the Sultan to power their magic. When they tried to replicate the kingdom, they couldn't. Then they realized 
that Moshe Rabbeinu isn't a person that is a greater magician than them. No. His source of power comes from a whole different direction, the real direction, which is the power of the spheres. And that's why they say, it is the finger of God. You see, what do you mean finger? Because we have ten fingers. Why? Because God uses his fingers, which are the ten spheres, to do things. That's why we have ten fingers, you see. So they realized that Moshe Rabbeinu was tapping into one of the spheres, you see. So they said, that this is the finger of God. That's the source of his magic, you see. And then they realized that they were done for. Because you can't fight the source of their own black magic. Because the spheres is the very source of their own black magic, you see. And Moshe Rabbeinu kept bringing, you know, again and again, the uh, Marcus, that ultimately, of course, destroyed Egypt, you see. Again, in the end, that's really what's happening, you see. Finally, Pari agrees, obviously, with the last Maka, which is Marcus Bechurus, you see, to let the Jews go. And the idea of the Jews going is because, like I said, the Jews had succeeded in doing a task, which was the fundamental task of the creation, which is to remove the Zoyama from the physical universe. And that's what they did. They depleted the Sutton, which depleted Egypt, which is the major agent of the Sutton, you see. So when the Jews left Egypt, they left where the Zoyama was now removable from the human body, you see. And they had 49 days to remove the Zoyama, 49 levels of Tumor, Memteshai Tumor. And that's what they did. Each day was a process in removing one of the levels of the Zoyama, you see. So by the time they stood at Har Sinai, they actually had expunged, you see, or they had removed, expelled the Zoyama from the human body. <clears throat> And that's why the Gemara says, when the Jews stood at Har Sinai, Nifsika Zoyama Shal Nochosh. You see, the Zoyama of the Nochosh was removed. Now, we don't know what that means. We don't know what it means when the Zoyama is removed from the physical body. Because that, that type of person is not normal. You see. And they had accomplished that by being in Egypt. They stood at Har Sinai without Zoyama. Tragically, because of the Cheto Egel, they restored the Zoyama back to the creation, you see. But not nearly as much as Odom had done, you see. Now, therefore, the Rebbe said, you need to celebrate Pesach to continue the Avridah of removing the Zoyama. But you can't do it anymore with the historical event of Avdus, you know, slavery. So therefore, you will do it through the mitzvahs. And I am now going to give mitzvahs, you see, which mirror the essential entire historical dynamics of Egypt. You cannot eat chametz, because chametz has three, right, three ingredients, right? Chametz has, you know, uh, it has leaven, right, it has flour and water, right? That's chametz. Right? Because a, a Jew, right, has three things. He has a physical body, an neshama, 
right? And and the, and the yitzhara. So therefore, you cannot eat chametz because chametz is a food that's only appropriate, basically, for somebody as zayimah. You can only eat matzah. Matzah only has flour and water, which is the neshama and the guf. <clears throat> and there is no zayimah, right? So because there's no yitzhara, you can only eat matzah for seven days. So that commemorates, right, the concept that a Jew is free from the Zoyamah during Pesach. Now, the Jew eats Mora. Why? Because the primary way they got rid of the Satan was through Yisurin, suffering. And that, of course, is represented by Mora. Now, what the Jews had done, which I mentioned in the previous year, is they had removed the Zoyamah, right, from the Satan. And the four worlds of Tumor, which I mentioned in the first year, collapsed. Those are the four koises that we drink. Each kois is a redemption from one environment of evil, you see, which I mentioned in the previous year. And that is why we drink four koises, you see, to commemorate that we have been removed. We actually did the job successfully, and he's then to collapse the environment, the four environments of evil, you see. However, since the Zoyama returned, right, and we did not get rid of it, right, and we did not turn Geshem into Ruchni, that's the fifth case. Because if you remember, Eliyu Novi, he went to heaven with his body, you see. So he went to heaven with his body without having converted his body, and without dying and removing the Zoyama. So therefore, we also, we don't drink the cup of Eliyahu because we were never redeemed. We got rid of the Zoyama, but we never turned Geshem into Ruchni, you see? And that's the fifth curse of Eliyahu. And of course, we say this story of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim, you see? <clears throat> now, what's important to remember is that the struggle of Egypt is really the st- struggle of the foundational uh, uh, blueprint of the Bria, remember? The essential idea is you need to remove the Zoyama from the physical universe. And that happens by the Yimei Mashiach, the Messianic era. The one who is responsible for that is Mashiach ben Yosef. And as a result of that, the Messianic era will be an era when the Zoyama is gone. There is no more death. We will only be Geshem. And that will slowly be refined. You see. <clears throat> and that is really what the struggle was all the way from Adam all the way to Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. That is what's called a universal struggle. That is a struggle for all time. Because that's the thing that we are really involved in, you see, to remove the Zoyamah. And the way we do that is by remaining righteous, even though we are in an environment of tremendous Tumah, you see. Now we are basically in the environment of Edoim, you see, which is the Bechor of the Satan, Basically, you see, uh, so that's what we are trying to do. We are in Golis, which is Avdus, in Edoim, which is comparable to the Golis of Jews in Egypt, you see. And therefore, we are trying to remain righteous and not be assimilated, <clears throat> you know. Unfortunately, a lot of Jews are assimilated, but there's a lot of suffering going on, and the Bansham keeps a cheshben, a reckoning, that even those neshamas which are assimilated, they also will have a tikkun because of Gilgulim and so on. But the main idea is that we are duplicating 
the task of the Jews in Egypt. Because that is the ultimate task, the universal task. To remain righteous in an evil environment, right? And therefore to deplete the Satan of all the sparks of holiness, you see, <clears throat> that he has accumulated over the thousands of years of the sins of the Jewish people, and slowly to remove it, to extricate, to remove, <clears throat> the, to extract all that Kedusha from the Satan, and then ultimately the Satan dies. And that is called the Tikkun Hakloli, the true redemption. So this is what we see. We now understand what Egypt is. Egypt is a historical event in which the Jews removed the Zayama. Simple. That's really what it's all about. And it took thousands of years for the Jews to do that. But that event was the historical event. So that is called the primary Tikkun event. We are involved in the secondary Tikkun event. And we removed the Zoyama, right, <clears throat> by observing the mitzvahs of Pesach, which symbolizes the struggle of the Jew, you see. <clears throat> and as a result of the Pesach that we keep and the fact that we struggle to remain righteous, <clears throat> ultimately there will come a time when there will be a Pekidah, <clears throat> when we will have done the job, and the Bansham will say to the Mashiach Ben Yosef, it's time to take them out. And we are very, very close. We now understand <clears throat> the real essential idea of Pesach, that it's part of the universal cosmic uh, battle of the Jew against the Sultan to remove the fifth reality of Zoyamor, to get away from that, <clears throat> and to really have the reality called Zoyamor, uh, Geshem, and that will be the Moisa Mashiach, you see. So this is what Egypt is all about. It's something which goes on again and again until the Mashiach <coughs> comes. And this is really what should be said over by the Pesach Seder, you see. In fact, if you think about it, there are 15 things you do by the Seder. So I once put together an interesting idea that these 15 ideas constitute the whole plan of creation. So if you remember it, what was the first one? Kadesh? In the beginning there was HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? There was God, right? Urchatz. The Rabbi washed his hands of the Bria, that's called Simsum, and he created a world in which his presence is devoid. Right? So that's Urchatz, Right? Then we have Kaddish Urchatz, um, Yachatz, Karpas. Karpas. So then he Karpas, Karpas stands for Samach Porach, 60 worked. And those are the 600,000 Shamas of all the Mauritians. And his job was to work. You see? So he created man to do the task of Tikkun. Then we have Rochsa, right? That all the Mauritians. His job, right, is also is to wash his hands away to remove the Zoyamor. <clears throat> okay? Then we have Magid. So the first way he does that is Magid. He declares the greatness of God, which are the mitzvahs. Right? He does that. And then we have uh, Matzah. And if he does Moitzi Matzah, 
And if he does that, then he brings out the matzah. Remember, the matzah is the body without the zoyamah, because it only has two ingredients, right? Then moro korech. But if he doesn't do it that way through magid, then he will be bound, korech, bound, moro, to suffering. And that's the way he will do the tikkun, right? And so on. And then, if he does it through that way, right, then there will be what's called shulchan oroch. Then he will be zoycha to the uh, shulchan oroch, the prepared table, which takes place in oilam habo, right? And what happens here? We have what? We have uh, halel. He will sing praises because he will be masig, comprehend God. What was that? I can't hear you. What? Tzofen Barech. Ah, Tzofen, yes, I skipped one, yeah. Tzofen means he will be zoicha to the hidden Shulchan right, which is Oidem Habo. And in that state, Borech, he will be blessed, right? And he will say Halel, right? He will praise God in recognition of the incredible comprehension of what he comprehends of God. And Nirtzah, everything will have reached its intended purpose. You see? So in a certain sense, those 15 stages of the Seder represent the totality of the avoid of man from the beginning to the end. Okay. Any questions? Okay. First, I, I forgot to say in the beginning, I wanted to do this class, Re'inlui Nishma Abraham Ben Mazal. Okay. This year should be in the memory of Abraham. Abraham ben Mazal. Yes. Okay. So now I have, a, I have a couple of questions. So first, the 15 things that you just mentioned, um, doesn't that correlate to the 15 steps of um, Dayenu? Yes. There's a lot of 15s. I mean, yeah, UK is also 15. And there were 15 right. steps, the base of Migdos. Yeah, in the yeah, Migdos, the women's section. Yeah, I read that. Yes. But what I've done is I've shown that these 15 words actually can represent the 15 different stages of the tikkun. You see? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next question I have was, um, okay, so if Eliyahu Anavi, when he died, the Zohar, he died with the Zohama still in him, is that why he comes back to us to, re- to remove it? To release it when we're, when we're as a whole able to release it? Yes. In order for him to go to heaven, he had to go without Zoyama. So he is one of the few people that died we never, and he did not have to remove his body because that's why people die. So the body goes back to the earth and then the Zoyama is uh, removed and then they can get up for Tresamesim. <clears throat> So Chanoich, there are certain people that died. They never died, I should say. Chanoich, uh, Eliyahu, I think Sarah Basosha, they never died. And uh, they obviously had to remove the Zoyama before. So Eliyahu comes around to all the homes, because that's the Kosh Eliyahu. It represents the next stage, that after the Zoyama is gone, the next stage, right, well, is to remove the Zoyama. But since we did not accomplish, it was we, we depleted the four levels of the environments of evil, but we never got rid of it to the extent where now we are pure Geshem, not Zoyama. 
So that case is Eliyahu to remind us that we still have that stage. You see. Okay. So when you said um, that... Uh, <clears throat> the, hold on a second. That when the Satan dies, that will ultimately be the Tikkun HaKlali? How does that correlate? Yes, the Tikkun, the tikkun HaKlali actually is after the Yemaisa Mashiach. But there are two different stages. The Tikkun HaKlali is when the Zoyama is completely removed and destroyed. You see. But the real Tikkun HaKlali is the beginning of what's called Zikuch where Geshem is removed. So you can look at it that there are two stages of, of Tikkun HaKlali, which means the ultimate rectification. Okay, so See. how does the, um, the Tikkun HaKlali in Tehillim, because I say that every single day, so how does that, uh, what is the power in that for us now? Are I you talking about Rav Nachman? You talk about the ten, the ten chapters in Tilim by Rab Nachman. Correct. Yeah, that's probably what it alludes to. Those ten parakim, those ten chapters in Tilim, represent the ten spheres. That's right. You know, which Rab Nachman is trying to bring down. So by by me saying it every day, it's helping bring the, those energies back into the world. Yes. That's right. They say That's that right. Rav Nachman was Moshe Rabbeinu. Is that true? He was the spark of Moshe Rabbeinu? You know, I mean, who says that, you know? I don't know. That's what people say, that he, he was the spark of Moshe Rabbeinu. Look, you know, he could have been the... People say, look, people say a lot of things. We don't know. Is it possible? Yes. Was he? Unknown. Nobody knows. We, we don't really know. I mean, people say that Lubavitcher Rebbe is Mashiach. Was he? No. He died. Could he have been? Yes, probably. Maybe. Maybe. He certainly was a tremendous Sadiq. You know, but people say a lot of things that mean it's true. Wow. You know? So you now all have a beautiful understanding of Pesach. And it's not just Pesach, how Pesach fits in to the whole struggle of the Jew to do the Tikkun. Except it was the first attempt, in fact it was the final attempt from Oda Mauritian. Unfortunately it failed to a great extent, but it's still, it's an ongoing process to remove all of that. <clears throat> you see? And by the way, I might as well give you with this Gematria, remember, the whole point is to remove the Zoyamor, how do you do that? By taking out the Kiddusha from the Satan. And then the Zoyamor collapses, and the whole world, the four worlds of Tumor, also collapse. And those are called Nitsuitse Kiddusha, sparks of holiness. That's what they're called. So when, I've, when, when the Rabbanisham told Avram Avinu, right, <clears throat> he says, V'achakach yeitzu b'rechush godl, Right? They will go out with great possessions. Right? So the normal meaning is that they will go out very wealthy, which is exactly what happened because the Egyptians gave them a tremendous amount of wealth. But Kabbalistically, 
the gematria, right? The Yetzirah Godel is gematria Nitzaytzei Kedusha. Because that's the real wealth that they took out of Egypt. The sparks of holiness. Now, that was Avraham Avinu. Now, if you take a look at the end of Mitzrayim, right, where it says, you know, V'yotsu kol tzivus Hashem, and out went all the hosts of God, right? The gematria of that, what do you mean all the hosts? V'yotsu kol tzivus Hashem. That's also gematria Nitzayse Kedusha. So all the hosts went out of Egypt. It's not only the Egyptians, but all the Kedusha that was in the hands of the Sultan, everything left Egypt. So the Geula was total. If not for the Cheta Egel, then we would never have gone back to being Golas. The Moshe Rabbeinu would have been Mashiach Ben Yosef, and the whole world would have looked different. So those are fascinating commandments that indicate what the real story is all about. You see? Yourself. What? So, so, um, okay, so now, going back to Passover, now to this, this Pesach, God willing. So, if the Mashiach um, does get the Pekida, the way that we will feel it is through the energy, but that energy would be the Sefirot, technically? Like, we'd be feeling a difference in energy because the Sefirot's energy would be different? Well, that energy really will be the fact that he has the Yechida of Adam Arishan, which he now has. And since the Yechida of Adam Arishan is really ours, because he has the collective Yechida of all the Jewish people, right? So we will feel that energy because part of who we are has now been energized by the Sefirot. And that is our Yechida, which is now in the hands of Mashiach Ben Yosef. You see? That's how we feel what's going on. We are linked to the Yechida of Mashiach Ben Yosef and linked to the Yechida of Mashiach Ben David. That's how we feel it all. You see? It's not because of some mystical thing in the atmosphere. <clears throat> it's because the Yechida means that the Yechida has been released to Mashiach Ben Yosef, that's the first. And that Yechida, it links us to him, because his Yechida is our Yechida. He has the collective of all Klai Yisrael. That's how he's able to influence all the Jewish people. You see? In a certain sense, he has all the Neshamas of Klai Yisrael on his crown, which is what Yechida is. You see how it works? So we're going to feel it more internally versus externally? Yes, yes, we'll, we'll, yeah, we will have a much, something will happen to our consciousness, of which we've never experienced before. Like a light switch? Well, some type of consciousness, where we realize something has happened, you see. Will everyone be able, even, will people that are not connected be able to tap into that feeling as well? Well, everybody's connected, the question is how many clips do you have? to block it. Uh-huh. You know, there are people that have a lot of clippers. They have tremendous so, amount of tumor. And so that always people, is a blockage. What was that? 
So more people will have, some people will have access to it more or more vision to it more than others according to what um, clipo the they, have. That they have. Yeah, that's right. So wouldn't that's that bring um, uh, resistance from a lot of people who have the clipa on them? Resistance to do what? Meaning resisting like they'll, they'll, they'll deny it that, that there's something different or they'll deny that... On the contrary, on the contrary, they'll want more. Oh, they're going to have you, a thirst. Of course. You, if you give a drug to somebody, he's not going to deny. He's going to beg you for more. Because whatever little he has is intoxicating. Really? That's mm-hmm. so nice. Sure. So it's this incredible. This could happen over Passover where there's a shift in consciousness and then there's yes. like a... a I, hope it will, I, will, I hope it will happen over Passover. Amen. Do you have a good feeling it will, Rabbi? What's your feeling place? Um, I don't really know. You know, I don't like to speculate because uh, I know that everything is going downhill because God is closing the window fast. So it's very hard to have a feeling exactly what will be, you know, because uh, the feeling is that darkness surrounds everything. But when you look yeah. at the world, it's incredibly dark. <clears throat> so that I do feel, yeah, tremendous amount of what's called urida or urida, tremendous descent of Kedusha and a tremendous rise in Tumor. It's unbelievable what's out there, the Hashchos and so on. <clears throat> so it's it's you know so therefore the darkness itself, as the window closes more and more, you know that's a block. Very hard to feel anything with that kind of a, a darkness. You look, it says, and I will surely hide my face on that day. And that hiding face means that you don't feel. That's how hidden it is. It's true because you have like all these like. That's the confusion also. Like it's all this, one day you could be up, one day you could be down. It's just like tohu vabohu. Yes. Really. Yes. That's, that is the period of time we are now in. Terrible time. Terrible. You know. Great. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, it would be nice. What? What would you say? Wrap. If he's coming this weekend. If he's coming, well, I, like I said, I just answered. I hope he will. But Do you think Mashiach is going to come this year? <clears throat> I think we're very close. Timing is hard to do. Oh. What? Here's, if Here's he doesn't co- come this Passover, if the picky die doesn't happen this Passover, we have to wait till next? Uh, well, the picky theoretically can happen any time really, even though Nisan the time of Gula, but that's when it's revealed. That's when the Pekid is open. It's like that's the time when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Egypt. You know. Uh, but it can happen really any time. It can happen on Shavuot any time. As soon as the Tikkun is complete, it can happen. 